You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight's scripture comes from Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. It's Mark 4, 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in their boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm, and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. My name's Casey. I'm one of the pastors here at Free City. And uh, if you're with us for the first time, You came on a great Sunday. Um, You came on a Sunday that we get to celebrate. Uh, Really, the the only hope that we have, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We get to celebrate, really, what we would say, actually what I would say, affirm completely, is the basis of our faith. That if Jesus didn't didn't rise from the dead, then we're doing this in vain. But we also get to celebrate what that does for us as we see it in water baptism. And so uh, later in the service, after communion, if you have kids in the kids' area, we're going to ask you to slip out and go get them uh, so they can, one, just see baptism. They can bring up conversations of why are some people baptized and also to to scare them. Uh, Some kids get really scared when we baptize uh, because, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of Mad Max-ish. I mean, you know, we have someone up here. Uh, they ask some questions, we say, they say, I do, and then we plunge them under the water, and everyone yells, um, and so if that scares them, we are sorry, uh, but it's something to celebrate, not scaring them. Baptism. We're glad you're with us. We uh, are actually just walking through the Gospel of Mark, and so we're continuing on. And so this is where we've been for several weeks. We're not stepping out of that for Easter because we want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every week. And so here we find ourselves in a scary situation. And, and here we find ourselves in a situation where the disciples, they finally came to their senses and they sought the solution to their scary situation. And all of a sudden they realized the solution to the situation was scarier than what they were facing before. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever faced that type of thing? Like there's something that you were afraid of, so you put effort or you put thought or you looked for options and you found a solution to the problem and the solution itself ends up being scarier. I, uh, I coach uh, Cruz and Anna in Little League Soccer and uh, we, we, we win a lot. I know they say that's not important and it, it, it really is. Um, but uh, it's so fun, man. And so I've got this boys team and I've got this girls team. And Cruz was still in uh, basketball. 
Um, and so I took Anna a couple times up to Rock Chalk Park, and we did some turf workouts. And so I whooped her in some wind sprints and beat her on some one-on-ones. And, you know, there's two schools of thought. Like, do you beat them so then if, you know, they actually beat you one day, they know what that victory is worth? Or do you let them win to encourage them so they keep on playing? And, you know, I mean, the jury's still out on which one you should do. But uh, So we started doing some footwork and just getting her really excited before we had any practices. And so we finally, practice was coming. The season was going to start. The weather was not cooperating. We had to cancel one and then move it. We eventually moved it inside at Rock Chalk. But before that happened, Kenzie had bought her some hot pink socks, you know, kind of let's get this thing pump, you know, pumped up. And uh, during a homeschool, she uh, slipped away and she reemerged with her hot pink socks saying, no, not saying, declaring, I can't wait to dominate. <laughs> and it was that moment where like, I, I work our kids really hard. Like sometimes I get afraid at how I feel when I lose at Little League Soccer. Like I'm like, are these parents looking at me like I'm some sort of chump? Which they're not. They're looking at me like, man, praise God you're coaching. I didn't want to do it. But like, what if they are? Like, I'm afraid, and so I work them really, really hard. You know, I say it's because a good work ethic, you know, it you know, produces, like, how do we work hard and try to succeed in teamwork? But really, it's because I don't want to lose. And suddenly, like, the solution was scarier than the problem. I can't wait to dominate in hot pink. What, what we see here is we actually see We see the disciples in a desperate situation wondering how this is going to turn out. The storm in their life was overwhelming. It was beyond what they had ever experienced. It was beyond the capacity of the boat. It was beyond their strength to get to shore. And so they wake up Jesus and they say, can you do something for us? And he does. And then it says, they were more afraid. And so the solution that we see, the crisis in Mark 5, the disciples were terrified of a deadly storm, but the one who controlled the storm scared them even more. On Easter, we we celebrate the resurrected Jesus, but if we look carefully at this Jesus who came, who who died, who, who rose again, there are some implications that if you look carefully, it will scare you. And so here they realize what Lucy in the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe learned about Aslan, that Jesus is good, but he's not safe. And so we're going to look at this under four headings. And so four headings, if you're going to take notes, you can just write these down, um, and you can be done, or you can keep taking notes. But four things I want to look at. First, I want to look at real details. Then I want to look at the real storm. And then real fear that gripped them. And then the real crisis. And so right in in verse 35, we see these real details. And so I want to actually point out some irrelevant details in the story. And you might be asking, like, why would you waste time pointing out irrelevant details in the story or taking us somewhere irrelevant? And I would say, man, you haven't been here very long. I do that all the time. But like right here, they actually tell us a lot about what's going on, not in moving the story forward or developing the characters of the story, but in the authenticity that we can trust this. And so look at verse 35. It says this, On that day, 
when the evening had come. And so this is the same day that, that we skipped. And so we're not walking through Mark covering every verse. Uh, we're actually skipping most of the teachings of Mark, and we're focusing on the actions of Mark. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, which means when he looked to the Father, he was saying something we need to know. The progressive movement of the kingdom, it has come. It is moving. God's will is being done. It's happening. It's not all here yet. It's not all here yet. And so we're looking at the actions of Jesus that are bringing about the kingdom of God where he is undoing things all around us and inside of us. And so this is the day that we skipped. And so if you remember last week, we covered what started these Sabbath controversies. And the Sabbath controversies were where Jesus started breaking all the rules on the Sabbath and all the religious leaders were really upset about it. Like, they, they first confronted him. If you look back, you could see this in, in Mark 3. They first confronted him because his disciples were walking through the grain fields, grabbing heads of grain, rolling it out of their hands, and eating the grain. And they said, he, they can't do that, Jesus. They're like, they're reaping the grain. They can't do it. It's against the rules. And so the controversy starts to build. But then it gets way, way more serious when we get to like Mark 3, verses 1 through 6, where he stands up and there's a crippled man in the, in, in the synagogue where he was teaching. And he asks this question. He just says this, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And like right there in that moment, like the church people, like the people there should have been able to answer that question. They should have been able to be like, hey man, it's good to bring life. High five your friends on either side. Turn the tassel and take the diploma. Like it should have been easy. But they were silent. They were silent. They had added so much weight to the Sabbath. And so Jesus, he, he explains it in verse 27. He says, hey, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This is a gift of rest and a repetition that you need to enter into a liturgy of life. You need rest. It's also a moment to redirect your eyes that you don't sustain everything in your life. You can trust the God of the universe who really sustains. It's a gift. But then he really upset him because he goes on in verse 28 and he says, so, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Like, they knew what he was seeing. Jesus was claiming to have God-like authority over everything. He was saying, the Sabbath, it's mine. And we ended last week where we see this collusion. We see the Pharisees go out and they hook up with the Herodians and they say, man, we've got to stop Jesus. And just to kind of unpack that again, that is like the most conservative Republican there could be, like making a deal with the most progressive Democrat there could be to say, we have to kill Jesus. The real Jesus. The real Jesus that steps into systems and says, this is mine. The real Jesus stepped into this world claiming this is mine. The real Jesus that holds out and says, listen, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm life. There's no other way. There's no other way. 
But then, like, that was probably, like, maybe a week before that set this week up. And so what we see or what we skip, like, you see in, in Mark 3, verse 13 through 21, he appoints the 12 apostles. And so he grabs the 12, 12 of the disciples that became apostles, and he appoints them. And one of them was going to betray him, and he knew it because it's Jesus. And then the rest of them are going to make crazy assumptions all the time. I mean, they're just like us. They're going to make wrong assumptions. Like, that's exhausting. And then keep going. In verses 31 through 35, we see he has a family crisis. His family shows up to stop him. Like, gosh, our son is claiming to be God. Like, that's embarrassing. You know, like they show up to stop him, and he doesn't go out. He says, who are my, who's my family? Who's my brother? Who's my mother? The ones who follow the will of God. And so it's a stressful week that's building and then this day so verse 35 it says on that day and then this day happened and so in mark 4 the day began and he taught all day like it's all the teaching that we skipped and we've done parable series and so we'll come back and do it sometime all the teaching that he skipped he sat in a boat while everyone gathered on the shore and he moved away from the shore and he taught teaching can be exhausting I mean, I teach, and so I want to say that, so you feel sorry for me every once in a while. I know all of you guys are thinking, what's with the jacket? I know you're thinking that. <laughs> and I actually, I, I had to get Kinsey's approval. I was like, you think I can pull this off? And at first she was like, oh, I don't know. And then she said something like this, like, well, it seems like you really want to, you know? <laughs> but I'm just trying to relate. Like, you guys who dressed up, I got a jacket. You didn't? I got a t-shirt. I'm, I'm here, you know? I'm for you. <laughs> but like, it's exhausting, And on top of that, it was like an all-day ab workout, like core training in a boat, teaching, you know? I mean, all day he taught, and then the day didn't end it. So look at verse 35. On that day, what day? The core workout teaching day. When evening came, he taught all day. He said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowds, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Okay, that means he didn't go back to shore to get anything. Like, that's an irrelevant detail. It's not even a necessary detail that we know that it was the same day. It doesn't necessarily push the story along or develop any characters, but it's here. And then look at this detail. And other boats were with him. They didn't go with him. They were just around. And so these insignificant details... If you're trying to decide if this is an eyewitness account or some sort of mythology that just developed, these details are actually really important. See, myths don't include significant or like insignificant details. They don't have any space for them. If it doesn't develop the character or move the plot along, they ignore them. And so what you have, like, why tell us that it was the same exhausting day? Because Peter was the eyewitness. He was like, man, it was a terrible day. It was long. Or, or why tell us that they didn't return to shore before they left? Because Peter was a witness. And what he did was he said, listen, Jesus didn't go back to the shore to get his rain jacket. Cliffhanger, you know, foreshadowing, there's going to be a storm. I mean, he didn't do it. You know, why tell us that there were other boats? Because there were. You know, so you're forced to, when you see these irrelevant details, you're forced to come to one of two conclusions. 
See, those irrelevant details are always accounted for in eyewitness de- you know, accounts because it's just what you remember. You're telling the story like, man, there were a lot of boats. They didn't almost die like us. I mean, you just tell the story. But myths don't do that. Now, it's confusing for us because we have fictional writing where you add irrelevant details to make it feel real. So you have to either say, this is an eyewitness account that Peter's saying, man, this is just what happened. And if he's honest about what happened then, then the question is, is he honest about what is about to come? Because what's about to come scared him to death. So either... Mark, recording Peter's account, made up a genre of writing that didn't exist. A a, a fictional genre of writing that no one did before him and no one did after him for 2,000 years. Either that's what happened or this is simply, he's just telling you, Peter's like, this is what happened. This was the day I had. And so these, these details, You have to decide what they are. You have to decide what they are. And so if it's true that Jesus didn't go to shore to get his rain jacket, if it's true that there were other boats around, could this be an actual eyewitness account of a real Jesus who claimed to be God-made man who died in our place, taking the wrath of God upon himself for all who would throw their arms up in the air and say, Jesus, I just know I need you to save me. These real irrelevant details don't support a myth that can teach us some self-help principles. They support a reporting of a real day. Point one, real details. Number two, real storm, like a real storm. Look at verse 37. It says, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Like look at those details, big wind, big waves, big water in a little boat. Now I know I should have said a lot of water in a little boat, but I had a big thing going, so I just had to go with it. Like, if you see this, like, this is a moment that even, like, us land lovers, we could actually understand this because of the setting and the geography. Like, so what, what this place is, what, what, what the Sea of Galilee is known for is big storms. And so what you have is you have 30 miles to the north of the Sea of Galilee, you, you have Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon sits at 9,200 feet, 9,200 feet. And so in 30 miles, you drop over 9,000 feet because the Sea of Galilee is actually below sea level. That's a lot of elevation change. And so like we're in Tornado Alley, like we know what happens. You've got cold, dry air coming down the mountain. You've got warm, wet air moving off the Sea of Galilee and they start mixing and kind of mixing it up and it makes a storm. So this is like a real storm. It's a real storm that professional fishermen were afraid of. Like it wasn't just like like a storm like, oh man, we got so wet. It's crazy. It wasn't that. It's a real storm. And not all real storms have wind and rain. Not not all real storms are visible to other people. A real crisis that made them feel like this is death or life. 
real details. You've got to decide why they're there. A real storm that I hope in some way that you can relate to, whether it's outside of you in relationships or just in the world in general, or whether it's inside of you and you just wish people could actually see it. And so then we have real fear. And so in verse 37 through 39, like we, we back up, we're using that verse again, but like just several things about this, like real fear about a real storm that threatened real drowning. Like verse 37, and the great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat. And then this, so the boat was already filling. Like already filling, like, like that terminology, it means it was like filling to the brim. Like it was the moment of this is about to go down. And like if, if you're saying this, like maybe they were exaggerating. Like Jesus had just made them apostles. He had just sent them out to cast out demons and to preach. And so like you could say they're new to preaching. Like they could have said, you know, Peter could have stood up and said like, hey, this reminds me of a sermon I want to share with you. And the sermon I want to tell you, desperate, displaced, and deaf, I alliterated so you can remember. And you know, Andrew could have been in the back like, oh man, this is a good one. I love it. I just wish there was more application as we desperately try to displace this water out of this boat. Before we die, death. They were new to that. They weren't new to the Sea of Galilee. They were lifelong fishermen. And they were scared. Like they had experience of seeing storms come and seeing storms go, and they were scared. Real fear. Like think about what that looked like. Like, like all of them straining against the wind and the waves. And their strength was waning. As they all, all hands on deck are grabbing whatever they can, hands, oars, bowls, whatever they have to bail the water, but it's just filling up too much, looking around in desperation, trying to find where the shore is, if they even knew the direction they were going, looking in between lightning strikes through the blinding rain. Desperation. Where will our help come from? Thinking things like this might be too much. We might not make it. And I already told you, not, not all storms are visible. Like, have you ever felt like this? Like, have you ever felt this might be too much? Our relationship might not make it. I don't know much how much longer I can juggle all the things in this life. Is there any help? coming you know sometimes that's because um you're trying to do life alone and you need to invite community in you need to live out galatians 6 that we do life together that we have to help each other carry burdens and that god he wants to get you a place where you can help others we're all in situations that we need help sometimes but that's not here like, that's not here. I mean, they're, they're, this is a community. These are the just made apostles who just like were preaching and driving out demons. I mean, this is a community, a church community. This is like, this is like the best city group that ever happened, you know? And they're all struggling, wondering, will we make it? And they finally ask a great question. Where's Jesus? And, and so... Real fear in a real storm, and Jesus is asleep. Look at verse 38. But he was in the stern. I had to look it up. That's the back of the boat. He was in the stern, 
asleep on the cushion. Have you ever felt, man, Jesus has to be asleep at the wheel. This wouldn't be happening if Jesus knew about it. He must be unaware. Or have you ever felt like what they're going to ask, does he even care? Like, like real fear in a real storm, wondering if Jesus even cares that they might drown. Like look at verse 38, it goes on, it says, And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He doesn't say, do you not care that we might die? He says, we are dying. We are drowning. We're doing everything we can to stop it. Do you not care? You know, they could have said if they had more time, like, hey, you told us to cross the lake and look what happened. Or, or they could have said, like, like, you asked us to do this and we were just obeying and look what you did. Or they could have said something like, this is because we followed you and you're asleep. Do you even care? Now, I, I know you've asked that. If you've been walking with the Lord for a while, I know you've asked that to God. I know you've looked at him and you've said, do you see this? Do you even care what's going on? And it might be in something that you were trying to follow in obedience just like them. It's like, hey, I was trying to do this and this is how you repay me. This is what you do. I find myself in this kind of a storm. Like disciples are a lot more like us than we want to admit. And so real fear in a real storm, wondering if Jesus even cares, and then beholding the eyes of the true Jesus that can silence the storm. Verse 39 goes on, it says, And he, Jesus, awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. You know, the, the NASB, it translates that, hush, and be still. Like, gee, this is what you say to a child when they're like having a fit. Like you say, hush, sit there. Like Jesus is putting the storm in time out. He's like, that's enough. I want you to go over there. I want you to think about what you've been doing. Like that's what Jesus, he just speaks. Hush, be still. That's enough. Verse 39, and the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. This is describing the wind stopped instantly. But not just the wind. It's describing that the sea was instantly calm. Like where it says great calm, it actually has the word megas, which means mega calm. Like the, it wasn't just like just calm. Like it kind of started to settle down. And everyone was like, okay, just hang on for a little while longer. You know, it wasn't one of those. It said mega calm, instant, otherworldly. They couldn't explain it. It really scared them. The storm was scary, but if the wind just stopped and then slowly it started settling down, like man, just keep bailing. They would have been like, man, maybe coincidence. There was something about the moment that we're going to see in a minute scared the pants off them. I mean, the word, like, megacom, like, that's, like, I mean, we, we have mega death. It's a sick band with a lot of rock. We have Megatron. It's a really bad transformer with a lot of Tron. And this is mega calm, an otherworldly peace that Jesus instantly brings to the storm of their lives. Hey, just a couple questions. The disciples could identify the storm. 
Like just, can you identify a storm in your life that you just say, it needs peace. I, I need rest there. There needs to be stillness. Like just first to identify, or, or think about this. Is there a place in your life where the storm rages on and it needs to be silenced? Do you feel like the disciples did, that Jesus is unaware or asleep in any of those places? And I already said it. I want to say it again. The storm isn't always outside where it can be seen. Sometimes it's a great turmoil, a tempest inside of our soul. And this is where this is great. You know, in verse 39 where it says, peace be still, it actually could be translated, and it's translated like this a lot, not here, but where the word is used elsewhere. You be still, you be muzzled. Is there a voice in your life that rages from the moment you wake up, that haunts you to the moment you go to sleep, that is always there, that you become so accustomed to, that you don't even identify anymore, but it's with you in every conversation. It's with you in every circumstance. It's a constant fear that you need the Holy Spirit of God through the power of Jesus because of what he's done to muzzle it. Real details about a real storm that produced real fear, that led to a real crisis. Look at verse 40. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Like the other translation, you know, I'm reading in the Bible reading Luke. If you're reading that, he actually says, Where is your faith? He's like, Why didn't you take it out and use it? And so, like, right there, you know, Jesus, he doesn't actually, this isn't a moment where he comes and he's, like, put his arm around you, like, hey, man, that was crazy, but you got to remember, I'm God. You know, it wasn't that moment. He looks at him and he confronts them. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And I think there's more to this question than, what, you didn't think I could ha handle this little typhoon? I think there's more to it. I, I think it's saying something harder for us to believe when storms are raging out of control. I think Jesus is saying, you should have known that I, the God of all the storms, the God who loves you, the God who is with you, who will lead you, it's the same God who will lead you into scary storms. In, in verse 41, the response was this. And they were filled with great fear, mega fear, megas, great fear. And so whatever the fear the storm brought, all of a sudden seeing Jesus who commanded them to go this direction, was with them as they went this direction, who, who was there and could silence it at any time, but didn't silence till they turned to him and says, can you stop even this? And then even kind of confronted him like this same God, all of a sudden, went from fear to mega fear. Like, we expect storms to put us in danger. But the real Jesus, the God of the universe, the God who loves us, who died for us, who promised to never leave us nor forsake us, the God who has promised all things work out for good, like this same God, 
we don't want to believe that that same God will push us into a storm that is terrifying. We want to believe that there are limits to what God will do. Lucy looked at Aslan and learned, man, he's, he's good, but he's not safe. As the disciples looked into Jesus' face after he silenced the storm in an otherworldly way, they realized he is good, but he's not safe. There are no limits. You see, this Jesus, Jesus doesn't enter into your life to accentuate your life or your wants or your beliefs or your ways. The, the, the God of every storm enters in to be Lord. You don't get Jesus by saying, I'll, I'll go to church and I'll tithe some money, but you stay away from my ambitions or my plans, or you, you stay away from, from my relationships, or, or, or you stay away from my sex, or you stay away from my politics or my family. Like These things are off limits. You don't get to say, you're Lord here, but hey, this is mine. The picture is, you looking at a blank piece of paper and you signing the bottom of it for Jesus to now come through and fill out the contract. Why would anyone do that? Because they see the God-made man. They see the God of every storm that can silence any storm is the same God that entered into a storm that is waiting for every one of us the wrath of God because of our sin. And not sin. Like, we, we think of sin as like, oops, I messed up. Not, that's not sin. Sin is looking at the creation and denying that there's a God. Sin is looking at how relationships work and not caring. Sin is looking at a God of the universe and saying, I don't care. I'll do it my way. I'll do what seems right to me. Jesus entered into the storm that is waiting for all of us, and he conquered it. He rose again, ascended to the Father, and everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, everyone who says yes to Jesus, according to John 5.24, will cross over from death to life. See, we want to make Jesus into something that is just a little bit more moral than us. It's going to give us some, some heads up on how to live this life a little bit better. The disciples saw that this Jesus, the real Jesus, will lead you to unimaginable places. And when you see the whole picture, you will actually look at him and say, it was necessary and it was good. I'm so glad you did it. Jesus looks at him and says, where's your faith? And so if right now, like you're wrestling, man, God, do you even care? I just want you to know this. Jesus lost the vision and the care of God on the cross. So his eyes would never leave your life. In Psalms 23, it says that God prepares a table for those he loves in deep, dark valleys of life that he's led them there. It even goes further. It says that table is surrounded by enemies, but it's a place prepared. Like, do you see that here? You know, as we, we're about transition to take communion, I mean, so you can start with the awkward cellophane and all that stuff, but it, it, it's a picture wherever you are, we have a table set before us. 
Like, this is your prepared table. This table was made possible because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus took all the wrath of God so that we could have his lovely grace. That if Jesus walked willingly into the cross, we can have trust and we can have hope that he sees all of our circumstances. And there is no valley that's too dark that he can't prepare a table for us, a place for us. So Christians, we remember every week the body of Jesus broken for you. And the blood of Jesus poured out for your life. Pray with me. Father, Lord, I don't want to belittle any storm that could be going on the outside or the inside. And Lord, I know that in those moments there are just questions of, God, do you see this? Do you care? How dare you? Could you allow this? And Lord, I pray that we would just see the eyes of the God who controls every storm. You know, and, and the first thing is my, maybe just identifying what the storm is. Just giving it a name. Whether it's inability, relationship, or just constant faltering, whatever it is, just giving it a name and pointing and like, this is a storm. Or whether it's inside. And then the next thing is not just wishing that storm away, but it's looking around the boat that you're hanging on to, whatever it is that you think is going to keep you afloat, and being honest that it's not going to do it. That thing is going to go under. And then looking for Jesus in the boat. Father, Lord, I pray that through the Holy Spirit of God, Lord, you would lead us, that we would find you in the storm, and you would give us faith that one day, one day, We'll agree with you. We'll see what First Peter says. We'll see that it was necessary. One day we'll look at it. We'll see what it accomplished. And we'll just marvel. But Jesus, would you lend us some faith now? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.